You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. As you're turning there, Hebrews chapter 11, I hope that is your prayer. Daily prayer, uh, a Christian's daily prayer, a great song today. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to begin in verse 32 and read down through the balance of the chapter. And uh, we've done our best uh, to work uh, this series, our epic series, talking about the significance of every life lived in faith or by faith, uh, to work them into our uh, special days. So for example, Father's Day, which is in a few weeks, we'll look at a couple of dads that are included. A few weeks ago on Mother's Day, we looked at a few of the moms that were mentioned, and I felt that the end of the chapter is most appropriate on this Memorial Day weekend, so we're going to look at that. So that's why we're bouncing around a bit. We'll get to all of the folks in the chapter, but that we're doing so with that being our method and kind of our emphasis here. So I trust you've been soaking in this chapter, meditating on it, reading on it, and preparing for each of our studies. Let's begin in verse 32. The writer says this, After listing all of these that we've both studied and will study, and what shall I more say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. And you see a few different spellings there. That would just be uh, trying to transliterate their Hebrew name and spelling into Greek, which then we get into English in our translation. So you see Gideon, for example, spelled a bit differently. Verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And we'll define aliens differently than probably what comes to your mind when you first hear that today, okay? So don't get too excited. Verse 35, women received their dead raised to life again, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Verse 36, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. The writer says this, Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. And so we're looking at today ones with footnoted names. Those in Hebrews 11 who are just kind of a footnote. And I don't know what you think of when you hear the term footnote, but a footnote typically is at the bottom of a page of information that's supplementary, but here it is, not quite as important as what's in the body of the text, whether that's a paper being written, an article being written, a book that has been written. So what do we do, all of us who aren't these high-name profile people? I think our sermon and study today is for people like us, because I feel like many times I am just a part of what is the footnote to human history and the history of the church, and the future of all that God has planned. And so I think today God will help you, encourage you, but also I think challenge you through our study. Let's pray and ask for his help. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the joy it is to be here. Lord, we're grateful for what you've done in our hearts and lives over these last seven days since we last gathered, and all that you did through our missionary delegates and their respective fields. And we pray for them, especially the Tolsons, as they're just a few weeks removed from return, and others that are already engaged in other ministry, we pray you protect them. I pray you would also protect what you did in our hearts, that, Lord, we would continue to build upon what you stirred and moved us in, that we would be changed by it. Pray, Father, now as we study your, your word today again, anew and afresh in this chapter, that you would challenge us that, Lord, each of us matter, each of us, the moment we're in, the body we're in, the resources, the influence, the relationships, Lord, all of it, You have orchestrated for us to live out by faith your purpose and your mission. And I pray you would start with the youngest to the eldest in the room and everybody in between. You would convince us anew and afresh that everything we do and everything we don't do 
Uh, Lord, it matters. And Lord, it's an epic kind of existence that you've entrusted to each of us as we impact souls and lives and eternal destinies through the life you've entrusted to us. Bless this study. Be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So a few things today uh, as we study on this, ones with footnoted names. Um, and I came across this in the news the other day. Are you familiar with Zoom? Is Zoom a thing for you? Have you heard of Zoom? Maybe you use Zoom now and then. My brother just texted me this morning and said to my brother and I, hey, we need to get together soon. And by that, I know he means through Zoom. That's now an official way to, to have social interaction, at least for some of us. The other day, I came across an article that was talking about a new phenomenon that's going on. Here's the term. It's called a Zoom town. Have you heard of this? You've heard of boom towns, right? Like when you hear that first, you probably comes to mind. Here's the definition. It is a previously overlooked town or small city, typically in the south or the mountain west, that has swelled with an influx of remote-only workers. So people who do their job, and they can do it anywhere in the world. Now, I might pick Hawaii, might be an option for me, or you probably have places, Australia, or just where you're at. You want to stay there. But there are many folks who now don't have to work in urban areas. They don't have to deal with traffic and crime and whatever, maybe the high cost of living. And so there are small towns all over the deep south, as well as the mountain west, that are getting overrun. And these small little economies are just, they were talking about in the article, it's both good and bad because it's overwhelming their support system, uh, utilities and law enforcement, and the list goes on and on. But people are being transplanted because now their work allows for that uh, decision. And I was thinking about that as a reference to the Zoom Town thing. A lot of us live in small places, right? Uh, I don't know that Wayne County, it was alluded to, I think, last week in our missions conference, a lot of people don't know where Worcester is. They butcher the name of our town, uh, and, and the, Worcester is not always in the news, at least for good reasons, um, and, and so we're not viewed as a big place. And the same is true of our individual uh, sphere of influence and existence. And here's what I'd like to ask you tonight, uh, this morning. Do you believe that God wants to come, and he already has went on record with this, that he wants to come to where you live, your little life, and your little sphere of influence, and he wants to do something significant. Um, I catch in our day a sentiment, even in our ranks in this room, less than a vibrant belief in that concept. Um, we, we often are dismissive of the very place that God has handpicked for us. And I think if we can get over being the person who makes the biggest dent in the universe and the one that everybody recognizes as the mover and shaker of their generation, I think if we'll untether from that, God can do something through us. Because what I struggle with is I focus on what I can't do and what I'm not allowed and enabled to do instead of what can I do? What have I been called to do? Who is near me? What in proximity has God placed uh, in my life. And so I dare you to ask this question, are you willing to let God, if you will, zoom into your life and show off his power, his strength, his glory uh, in the time that you have left here on earth? So here in Hebrews 11, we see now the writer shifts from all of these bigger name people uh, to some that he mentions some names that we'll get to in a moment briefly, but also many we don't know their names. Or we have to guess which sections of Scripture are being referred to. What characters is he referring to as he describes things that happened to them or things that did not happen to them. And so on this Memorial Day weekend, I trust that we'll believe anew and afresh that God remembers us and God wants to work in our lives. So here's the question. In a day where many diminish those who are anonymous or, quote, low profile, how do we grow to appreciate the epic significance of every life that chooses to believe God? believe that God has a purpose and that God has a plan uh, for them. Let's talk about today two foot, foot, uh, footnoted memorials that we see the writer giving to this group of people that ought to help us own our life and space where God has given us influence. Number one, for a few minutes, first of all, let's talk about breakthroughs that are described in the text, a footnoted breakthrough. Um, we've been talking and joking, maybe just commiserating on gas prices. And the other day, somebody sent this to me um, just as they were processing, and maybe that's affected your life. I would guess that it has. Um, my wife teaches in Mansfield. My boys go to school, and so they make tons of trips. Our budget has been hit big by uh, gas expenses. And thankfully, I'm rejoicing at summer vacation just for that reason, okay? 
We've got a lot of extra nickels to rub together, or at least in theory we will now uh, for the next few months. Um, but uh, somebody sent this to me. A guy said this, I got a full tank of gas today for $32. And then there was this little add-on before you, like, where is that at? Granted, it was for my lawnmower, but I'm being very positive, okay? 32 bucks, man, I topped that puppy off, okay? Your lawnmower, and probably at this point, it's not even a riding mower, it's your push mower. 32 bucks, pull it in. Uh, I saw a picture the other day of a gas attendant, which that's a different era, where the gas attendant is asking the guy, he says, uh, regular or premium, and the guy's standing there next to his car, and he says this, no, I'm just looking. Yeah, I'm just looking, you know? (laughs) You ever do that in a store, you can't afford something? Uh, uh, Can I just say to you today as it relates to filling up, I think we've bought the lie if we're not careful that God cannot fill our lives with current and future breakthroughs. Brethren, we are satisfied with things that God wants to break us loose of. He wants to free us and free others. He wants to deliver us and others. Uh, And so we see breakthroughs being described here. They happen in little people's lives that were willing to trust him enough to give him room uh, to do that. So let's talk about a couple of areas as it relates to these breakthroughs. First of all, number one, there in your notes, in your bulletin, be one who counts upon offensive breakthroughs. So these would be things that God does in an offensive way. He moves things forward. Be one of the people who counts upon these offensive, not offensive, but offensive breakthroughs uh, from God. Uh, I'm fascinated by the psyche of, of each of us and trends in that area, obviously, with some of the things I do counseling as well. And just the other day, I was in a counseling session with a young couple, and we came across this thought, and we're processing it. Listen to this study. 80% of our thoughts, researchers tell us, are negative. 80%. Studies also reveal that 95% of our thoughts are repetitive. So if 80% of our thoughts are negative and 95% of our thoughts are ones we've already had, we often are very negative people about the same thing over and over and over again. And here's what I want to challenge you with. Stop thinking negatively. Instead, positively, trust God. What about that? What about that bent or that outlook on the future? And so the people we're about to look at, that was their mindset. We're not stuck. This isn't all it's ever going to be. I think God could do something here. I think we could lean into this. I think we could see God push back against all of this negative direction and vibe that we see in our day. And so these people we're about to read in the first few verses were not perfect people. None of them are. But these were especially flawed people who just said, you know what? I'm sick of the status quo. I'm willing to lead a charge. I'm willing to be a part of God moving things uh, forward. And so I love uh, these next few men that we're going to look at. Look, if you will, now verse 32. So he says, okay, I could go on and on, and time doesn't allow that. But notice what he says. He begins with Gideon. And so quickly, let's look at these who are willing to, number one, they're underneath of point number one or point A, be one who counts upon offensive breakthroughs, those who led the offensive. These were led offensives. And so we see Gideon was willing to lead the charge. Gideon went from 32,000 down to 300 men. Some left because of convenience and comfort. Others led because they weren't really battle uh, tested. And so it gets refined down, refined down. And yet there were 300 who were filled with faith and who were willing to do the unconventional thing to rout the host of the Midianites. And so we see Gideon mentioned there. Secondly, notice in verse number 32, it says, And Barak who was Barak. Barak was a man God called to lead an offensive charge uh, against the Canaanites. And yet remember what Barak did? He would only go if whom, who went with him, the prophetess Deborah. And in that culture, in that day, for a woman to lead an army was not just unconventional, it was looked down upon. And Barak, the timid soul, uh, who was unwilling to go without the prophetess at his side, despite that, God gives the victory. And notice, nothing's mentioned about that in the text. Isn't that interesting? Barak is remembered as a man who trusted God. All right, thirdly, notice, uh, not only do we see Gideon and Barak, but also Samson. Now, was Samson a flawed man? Yes. 
to say the least. And we see uh, very, uh, a series of things that indicate that about this man. And yet, despite all of his issues, God detected faith in him. I think we'll see Samson in heaven with all the issues that he had and even how it ended for him. You have a guy who killed a thousand with a donkey, a jawbone of a, a donkey and then brings down the house of Dagon at the end. He, killed more, he did more by dying than he did by living. Yet this man, in him, God sees faith. He was willing to do something, not perfectly, but he was willing to lead the offensive. And then lastly, you notice it says this, and Jephthah. And Jephthah. And so it mentions this uh, one who was an illegitimate child, and yet he rose to be a deliverer in the book of Judges against the Ammonites. Uh, he had faith that enabled him to rise above those sketchy uh, origins and to do something significant for God. Oh, one more. And also it says, and of David also. And so we see David also shining forth, who was not a perfect man, a man after God's own heart, but he committed adultery, he committed murder, uh, he did many things that uh, at times were at odds with God, and yet we see him remembered as a man of faith. Can I say to you, as it relates to leading the charge, far too often we have fatalism where we should have faith because we're unwilling to go on the offensive ourselves. And can I encourage you today, everything truly does rise and fall on leadership. Stop blaming everybody else for where we're at. Are you doing your part? Is yours truly doing his part? Leading what God wants to do in our day. Stop waiting for the perfect timing or the perfect person and just be a leader who says, let's try something different. Let's believe God. When's the last time that's come from your lips? You know what? I've heard what you're saying, and I, I had a hospital visit yesterday that I was constantly trying to steer away from politics to Jesus, <laughs> and everybody has critique and anal analyzing of all the problems and everything going around. Am I regularly saying, let's believe God, let's believe his word? Is that coming from my lips? Is that coming from your lips? Are we leading the offensive charge. Ian Bounds said this, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men, and I would add women and youth, whom the Holy Ghost can use. Can he use you? And if he's going to use you, it's not going to be to dissect all of the problems of the past or the present. It's going to be to lean into the future. The Holy Spirit is creative he moved upon the face of the waters and created everything out of nothing. The Holy Spirit is an offensively oriented person. Can he work through you to move things forward? These men, with all of their issues, are willing to lead the offensive charge. All right, and then if you will, go to verse 33. We'll come back to Samuel and the prophets in just a moment, who, through faith, notice this, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths, of lions. Number two, not only were their offensives led, they led them. Number two, they were impactful. They made a difference. Impactful offensives. Some of us were doing things, we're being initiatory, but we're not doing things that make an impact for the cause of Christ. We're activists, we're politically oriented, we're socially oriented, we're economically oriented, or we need to be faith oriented. I came across this the other day. A lot of the Chinese proverbs I've heard in the past, but this one I had never heard before. This would be something they say frequently. Rotten wood cannot be carved. Rotten wood cannot be carved. And that brought some conviction as I thought about that, not just in a physical sense, but also in a spiritual sense. Can God take me and do something with me? Can, can he make an impact? Can, can he fashion something? Or am I just a bunch of rotten wood? I'm just passive. I'm rotting away instead of being something God can use uh, to make a difference. And so we see God listing some impacts of these offensives. Just a thought today before we look at these. Have you ever thought about not the cost of the faith that God's calling you to exhibit, but the impact that otherwise will not be had? If you hold back and pull back where God's saying, step out by faith, we often gauge our commitment to God and our trust of God based on what's going to cost us. We look at these missionaries and we think, good luck, Chuck. We, good for you. 
but they're focused on what the difference is they're making. We're often, if we're not careful, focused on the cost that it's going to cost of us, what it's going to uh, horn in on what we have in our comfort and convenience and safety. And so the impact of these offensives. Verse 33, as I mentioned, we don't know who the writer was thinking of, but I just plant a few thoughts in your head to maybe think of where we see examples in Scripture. First, he says, they subdued kingdoms. Who comes to your mind when you think of those uh, that aren't listed in Hebrews 11 who may have been a part of subduing kingdoms? I thought of Joshua right? Marching around Jericho, just, you know, marching and then just trumpets and yelling. And and that led to the walls falling down and all the other kingdoms that he conquered. Uh, We think of the judges. We mentioned some of them earlier, military leaders, uh, David who fought the Philistines, the list goes on, of those who subdued kingdoms because they were willing to walk by faith. Notice verse 34, mentions a few more. They quenched the violence of fire. Uh, Who comes to your mind when you think of that? I thought of Daniel 3 with the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King heated up as hot as he could, and what did that do? It only served to burn away the things that bound them and to free them, and Jesus Christ, I think, is even revealed there in the text. And so their faith quenched the violence of fire. Notice, secondly, they escaped the edge of the sword. Who comes to mind when you think of that? David, obviously, was Saul. I think that uh, may be alluded to there. Elijah, remember Elijah escaping the hatred of Jezebel in 1 Kings 19, and the list goes on of those who escaped the edge of the sword. Next, notice it says, uh, out of weakness were made strong. It's interesting to me, 1 Corinthians 1 talks about this, but God uses weak things, right? Isn't that encouraging to you? God uses weak things. Well, I don't have as much strength as I once did. Do you know that might uniquely qualify you for God to use you in ways he used to not be able to? Out of weakness waxed strong, this intensifying supernatural enabling that comes on the heels of trusting God. I think our weakness too often is our lid. God is not bound to our weaknesses. He can do and be more than what we consider the best case scenario. Um, One I thought of was Jael. Remember her, the woman who literally drives a nail through the spot of Sisera, puts a tent spike through his head, the weaker vessel, if you will. She conquers the king of another kingdom because she trusted God and she used what she had and God used that to uh, wrought a great victory. Weakness becomes strength. Next, notice it says, uh, became valiant in fight. Waxed valiant in fight. This supernatural strength that was beyond uh, their natural abilities and overcame these insurmountable odds. They weren't supposed to win the battle, and yet God's valiancy uh, sustained them through the battle. Uh, Turn to flight armies of aliens. This would be a reference to those outside of or those that were the opposite of Israel, uh, those who were outside of God's people, and yet the victory that came when they were outnumbered, there was no reason they should win that battle. All right, last one, beginning of verse 35, women received their dead raised to life again. Uh, who comes to mind when you think of that? Women who had their dead raised to life again. I thought of the widows uh, with uh, Elijah and Elisha, respectively, uh, where their uh, sons are resurrected. Obviously, there are others in Jesus' ministry where a lad is resurrected, but women receiving their dead by resurrection. Just a thought today before we move on. Those who make a positive impact are always those who possess a forward-leaning posture, not those who have a protect-my-own-comfort-and-safety kind of mindset. And so we see these listed, these who did great things because they simply trusted God. Uh, In Matthew 16, it talks about that the local church is going to be defended and built by Jesus Christ. Remember that? And it says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I've heard that verse often used in a very defensive profile. Last time I checked, you don't attack somebody else with your gates. If your gates are interacting with your enemy, it's because they are what? They're attacking you. The church is meant to be offensively oriented. And I'm just loving on you enough today on Memorial Day to say to you this, we've lost that spirit. Were we praying last week that God would call our teenager to the mission field? 
that what God would call our family, that God would move us into something new and greater for his glory. We've lost that pioneering spirit. And I would tell you today, the reason is we don't trust God as much as we say we do. Faith produces an offensive mindset. God, do something new. Do something greater through little old me. And so may we be willing to yield to that wherever God gives application. Um, C.S. Lewis, who wrote several allegories as it relates to spiritual things, and we wouldn't agree with him on everything, but he said this, since it is so likely that children will meet cruel enemies, speaking of young people, let them at least have heard of brave knights and heroic courage. And here's my question. Are they hearing it from us? Are they seeing it in us? Man, the world's a scary place, but dad and mom or grandma or grandpa or brother or sister so-and-so at church, they believe God enough to do something new for his glory and honor. One of the things that got me choked up last Sunday is hearing Bradley Edmondson talk about the last conversation he has with his eldest son. Did you catch that? Oldest son, you're the man of the house while I'm gone. And he said, and if dad doesn't come back, know he was doing what God had called him to do. Where's that in our ranks today? That pulsating conviction, God wants to use us, not just to defend the faith, but to advance the faith. And I would submit to you one of the best ways to defend the faith that we feel leaking out of our ranks is to stop being so defensive and to get back on the offensive. Win a soul, disciple a new convert, go plant a church, do something. Let God do something through you. That's the spirit we see here at the end of Hebrews 11. All right, go back to our text, if you will, now to verse 32. And at the very end of verse 32, we see an additional category, if you will, of those who are willing to count upon God moving things forward. Notice the end of verse 32, in Samuel and of the prophets. Number two, be one who counts upon revelatory or revelational breakthroughs from God. So first of all, we see um, offensive breakthroughs, now things that God wants to reveal. So God's not just trying to do stuff. He also wants to show things. He wants to reveal things about himself and about his word uh, through lives that are lived with faith uh, on purpose. Um, I'm always trying to keep up with, you know, what's the latest expressions. When I was in, you know, back in the 1900s, when I was in high school, as my boys gently and not so gently remind me... um, we had words, you know, if someone was really, you know, happening or whatever, you know, cool or whatever, hip, that's before me, okay? Um, but the other day, one of my friends posted a line, he was talking about his little kid was looking so fly. Have you heard this? Man, my son, he looks so fly. I'm like, what in the world? Like, what does that mean? Is that good? I don't know. And so I did some, it's, it's you, look, you look hip, you look cool, you look fashionable, whatever. You look so fly. So some of you do today. Some of us don't, okay? You're not so fly. Um, but it's, it's funny to me how those terms change, but how do we evaluate if someone is cool, hip, fly, whatever the thing is of the day? It's often how we appear. And here's where I think we lose it in our journey of faith. Often, listen, yours truly being exhibit A, we care more about how we look and don't look than how God looks. You know, there's some in your life that will never open a Bible and everything they know and frame about God is through your life. And you're so worried about how you look, playing it safe and looking all together. And they're trying to find God. They're trying to see God and they're forming a view of God. The God you claim to trust that you're not trusting and exhibiting that faith Uh, on a regular basis. And so be one who counts upon the revelatory breakthroughs. God can shine through me. He can show off through me, my little life, his glory. And I would say this before we look at these examples. I think God almost gets greater glory and attention by shining through little people than he does the high flying kind of people. And so he wants to show up in weak, fragile, broken, limited kind of existences and manifest his glory. And so we can be a part of that if we'll simply trust him. All right, two things about that quickly. First, notice there are some faithful revelations, faithful revelations. Samuel and the prophets were faithful to let God reveal himself through their lives and lips. 
And Samuel really is a transition from the judges that the previous verse ends with to now the prophets. He's the first great prophet. Um, remember Eli and his sons, the world is in, or the, the nation is in spiritual bankruptcy. Those leading the nation are corrupt. And in steps Samuel to be a faithful spokesman for the Lord. And then it refers to the prophets. Many of those prophets suffered greatly to be faithful to what God was revealing to them and through them to, their, to the people of their day. Faithful with the word of God. And here it is. And I know you feel like I'm picking on you, but this is because God's picked on me all week about this. We can't even read it, let alone identify with it and share it and evangelize with it when we know others aren't going to be receptive to it. Faithful people, people who believe the word, are in the word and stand with the word faithfully even when others do not. And so identifying with God's word with faithfulness. Samuel and the prophets model that so well. All right, verse 33, notice the end of the verse after talking about subduing kingdoms. It says this, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. And so we see these things listed that I believe the prophets and those who were faithful to reveal God's word uh, accomplished because they were willing to yield to God's plan for them. So you see they worked righteousness, and that, that might be a reference to some of the leaders and kings who followed what the prophets said, uh, maybe an allusion to Solomon or Jehoshaphat, or Joash, or Hezekiah, or Josiah, and the list goes on, of those for, who at least for a time reigned in alignment with God's prophecy and with God's prophets. And because of that, they worked righteousness. They accomplished things that mattered to God. Secondly, notice they obtained promises. Uh, whether that, that could refer to like Abraham and Moses or David, that they received a covenant, or it could be that God actually delivered on the promises. God's been promising that, and he just did that through that person's life. Oh, oh, that I could be that person. That someone could say, when they look at my life, I see a lot of things that are issues, but I see in his life fulfilled promises. God just saved somebody, and God just changed somebody, and God just comforted somebody, and the list goes on. That my life is a place where people can look, and they look to your life and see the obtaining of promises. And then lastly, in this section, notice it says, and they stopped the mouths of lions. Now, I'll be honest with you. I would love to be one that people look to for obtaining promises. That one I would rather opt out of, okay? The exit interview would be a blast, but everything else would be not so fun, okay? There's the guy who stopped the mouth of a lion, okay? The way I think that would happen is you would not be able to interview me afterwards. That's how I stopped the mouth of a lion. But you can think of people, right? Uh, we Obviously, our mind goes to Daniel, but I think also Samson, we see his interaction with a lion. David, could the writer of Hebrews be thinking of David who had battled with the bear and the lion? In faith, these people had victory in these kind of situations. Evidences, revelations of what God could do. And so we see faithful revelations. I don't think I gave you the second point. Transformative revelations. It changed things. They worked righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. It transformed some aspect of their life. And I would say to you before we move to our second point this morning, far too often God's word and his revelation is abstract to us. What faith does is it lets, us, lets it into our life in a way that will change everything. It, accept, it accesses God's word and then it opens up our lives to see his word do something through us. My prayer is this, in this church and in my own family and in your life as well, is that people, if they know you, they have a front row seat to not just hearing God's word, but seeing it. Seeing it being, seeing it being accomplished. Seeing his word being blessed and honored and fulfilled. That's only possible for willing to, as a footnoted person, trust our God. All right, go to verse 35. Let's spend the balance of our time in these last uh, few verses. Verse 35, we see now what really prompted me to title our study today is the footnoted ones. Look at verse 35. So after mentioning all these positives that end with at the beginning, women receiving their dead raised to life again, notice the next two words, and others. 
the tone shifts here very significantly. Instead of all these positive, glorious breakthroughs and offensive movings of God, we see great suffering that faith sustains his people through. I think if you're sitting there today, your temptation might be, okay, pastor, I hear all that, and I'm trying to trust God, and my life is in shambles. I have have biological things, I have emotional things, I have relational things. What's for me in this study? These verses are for those of us in that category. Number two, jot this down. Not only a footnoted, uh, as we mentioned a moment ago, breakthrough. That's glorious, and we celebrate those things where God wants to do that. But number two, a footnoted endurance. So faith helps us to see breakthroughs. Number two, it helps us when we don't. A footnoted endurance. Um. I don't know if you're a burrito person. How many of you are burrito people? Would you raise your hand for a minute? You're like, what does that mean? I don't mean like you wind yourself up in a blanket. I'm saying you love to eat burritos, okay? I've seen blankets that look like burritos. Have you seen those? You can buy them and wrap yourself up. Sidebar. Anyway, um, sorry. John Hopkins University just this last week announced this huge, this is huge news in human, human history, that someone has invented edible tape to hold your burrito closed until you're done with it. Isn't that crazy? Like of all the problems we have in our world, I mean, that's a problem, okay, for those of us who are burrito people, because by the end, it is just this mound of whatever mush in your hand, unless you know how to eat a burrito properly. But some of us need tape. And so they invented this. It helps you get through the end of the burrito experience. Can I tell you that God often winds into our lives? Stick, there's a purpose, okay, in this illustration. There always at least was when I wrote it down in my sermon notes. God often works into our lives things that he never frees us from, that we're called not just to cope with and to suffer through, but listen to me, actually trust that he has a purpose in it. Some of us are belittled and bemoaning where we're at because our life isn't all together and we aren't seeing some of the breakthroughs that we just referenced. What do we do with that? What we do with that is we continue to trust God, the faith that helps us not just to see a breakthrough, but to thrive and to endure and to persevere in the midst of that chronic challenge. So faith doesn't always result in the miraculous. Sometimes it sustains us through the tremendously painful and unanswered prayers. There are things in this room you wish you could get free of. May encourage you to be willing to where you live and where you exist to trust God in that situation. All right, let's talk about a couple things in time we have left that we see exemplified in this crowd. Number one, be one who settles for, and I mean that in the spiritual sense, in the faith-filled sense, be one who settles or is contented with persecuted endurance from God. Be one who settles or yields or submits to an existence of persecuted endurance. Notice a couple things about this. These who are willing to lean into with faith persecution. Notice the middle of verse 35 again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Number one, notice these, this, these who are willing to be enduring through faith. They had chosen persecution. They chose persecution over convenience. This is also a result of faith. Not a faith that just brings deliverance but a faith that opts out of deliverance that would cause us to compromise our convictions and our trust and our relationship uh, with God. Faith should accept and embrace deliverance that comes from God. We just talked about that, right? But faith also should opt out of that which is a compromised deliverance, a deliverance from man, if we'll back down or settle down or back off of our faith walk uh, with the Lord. Um, I, I don't know if you've noticed anything different about my left hand today. Now you're all going to look at it. But I'm not wearing something I normally do. It's my ring, okay? I'm still married, I think. Um, yeah, I think, I hope, I wish. Um, I, had po- I got poison ivy about a week ago. I was pulling weeds and stuff in a flower bed, and, it, and, and I didn't know I had it. And so it got under my, I have a ring right now. It's, I'm recovering, you know, I'll be fine. Sure, all of you are worried about me, but it, it encircled my, and so it was under that ring. Just and I got these huge blisters on my my fingers. If you've ever had that, uh, and so the last week or so, I, I've not had my ring uh, uh, on my finger. And I was thinking about this. Can you imagine me knowing there was poison ivy in my in, in the flower bed or the mulch bed, and wanting to get poison ivy? Like that's crazy. 
Can I give you a thought today as it relates to chosen persecution? I think a lot of us in the room think we're suffering for Jesus when all we're doing is trying to manage things that have happened to us that we didn't choose. A lot of suffering for Jesus, air quotes emphasized today, are not things we actually have chosen. Now, can we choose after something happens to us to have the right spirit and attitude? Yes, but here's my thought to us today. As Western believers, I don't know if we have any or barely any chosen persecution in this room represented. That's very, very convicting to yours truly. Because these folks had an out, humanly speaking, and they chose to suffer for Christ. That also is a profile of faith that we need more of in our day. And I think we all know we're headed there, aren't we? In some point, we're all going to have to choose a side. And brethren, if we wait until we have to choose, we probably aren't going to make the choice that would honor the Lord. So choosing to be persecuted. We don't even like to choose to suffer or be inconvenienced or have to pay a little extra cost-wise. We are soft where we need to be strengthened and hardened with a resolve to choose whatever suffering we need to faithfully follow Jesus Christ. All right, look at verse 36. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. So we see, secondly, painful persecution. It was chosen. Number two, it was painful. This was not just she looked at me wrong. This hurt. Not that that doesn't hurt, but it was difficult. It was painful. This was intense, to say the least, this persecution that faith can see us through. Uh, and we see all forms of, of this mentioned in verse 36, specifically uh, imprisonment and all the things connected to that. I don't know who your mind goes to, but I think of Joseph and probably Jeremiah. Jeremiah probably would be the most uh, clear example of suffering these kind of things, being imprisoned over and over and up to his armpits in mud in an abandoned well as Jerusalem is caving around him and the things he went through to stay faithful to Christ to stay faithful to Jehovah God as a prophet. Verse 37, it goes on, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. So we see these other painful inflictions that were pressed upon them because they chose to trust God with faithfulness. Um, the stone part might be a reference to Zechariah. Jesus referenced him and his earthly ministry being stoned, sawn asunder, um, the only thing I could come across that might be being referenced here is it's possible, we don't know this for sure, remember Manasseh, Hezekiah's son, who ruled for many years in evil and then eventually turned back to the Lord? But tradition tells us that Isaiah, the prophet who had faithfully worked with his father, that actually that's what Manasseh did to Isaiah at the height of his wickedness, literally cut God's prophet in two. Um, and so Isaiah here possibly being referenced in being sawn asunder. Uh, next, notice they were tempted, uh, a reference probably to just the pressures and the, the burdens of, one, of others wanting them to compromise and recant and commit acts of, uh, of heresy and their unwillingness to do to, tempted, 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 slain by the sword. Uh, one came to mind was Uriah the prophet. Remember, he was slain by the sword as he preached faithfully to Jehoiakim uh, in Jeremiah 26, and there are others, but... Those who weren't delivered from the edge of the sword referenced earlier, those who actually fell under uh, its stroke. And so we see this painful persecution that they were willing to endure with faith. There is no price tag of freely and following God that will not involve a cost on your part. You cannot follow faithfully God without it costing you. And yet we have been trying in our generation to wiggle and find our way to that space on a daily basis. It has to cost. It has to hurt. It has to infringe upon our comforts and our safety even at times. Are we willing to lean into that with faith in God? And may I say today the intangible benefits of what God offers if you'll trust Him and suffer for Him, especially you young people, will always be greater than the best out the world can give you, right? The world tries to sell you on the cheap counterfeit. Be willing to suffer. Be willing to count the cost. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And so may we be willing to exemplify that as we see these believers doing. All right, lastly, look at verse 37. We see a second category of footnoted endurance that should move us and motivate us. Uh, it says this, they wandered 
about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Lastly, number two, be one who settles for marginalized, marginalized endurance from God. They were marginalized, they were mocked, they were ridiculed. You guys are nothing, you don't matter. A marginalized endurance that God chooses. Um, the graphic on the slide today in your bulletin is a poppy. I don't know if you caught that or not. Poppies are, uh, for a lengthy number of years, have been associated with military memorials. Uh, in fact, you could go to uh, most places on a memorial day and somehow poppies, that flower will be woven into those observances. Not for years of wonder, what's the backstory of that? There's always a backstory, and that, that always fascinates me. Um, to the best that I could study on it, it comes from a poem, uh, specifically a poem called Flanders Field. Have you heard of it? Some of you are aware of the background of this tradition. Uh, in the spring of 1915, a Canadian artillery, uh, artillery unit brigade surgeon named Lieutenant Colonel John McRae saw bright red poppies blooming on the worn, torn fields where so many soldiers had lost their lives. And he was moved to write the poem we've at least heard of in Flanders Field. And it begins this, in Flanders Field, the poppies bloom. You know, the world on this Memorial Day and even our own country, unfortunately, many times we forget what others have done, right? It's marginalized. Well, that's a day gone by of our country's history. We don't need those kind of sacrifices. I remember when the Ukraine war first broke out, people were, I can't believe war is still a possibility in our world. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But people think we, just, we move on and that's irrelevant and we don't need some of the sacrifices and things that used to be accomplished, marginalized where it should be memorialized. And I think one of the things we have to come to terms with is if we live a little life of faith, there are many people who would just flat out mock us. They will not appreciate the sacrifices we make. They won't appreciate how that affects our family and our priorities and our projections about the future. And are we okay settling for that? Do I really have to have everybody liking me and accepting me and agreeing with me? If that's true for you, you'll never find a place to land where you're trusting God. Because trusting God means choosing him over the opinions and the assessments of those around you. There's, I'm telling you, trust me, there's nothing more freeing, but there's nothing more tougher, tougher to shoulder on a regular basis than to be marginalized as you trust and follow the Lord. And notice two things as we finish as it refers to this. First, there is a dis, disrespectful marginalization. They, they disrespect them. And I think we see that alluded to at the end of verse 37. Last time I checked, those we look up to don't wear, wear sheep, sheep skins and goat skins and live in caves. When you, say, when you wives say to your husband, you're acting like a caveman or something similar, you're not complimenting them, right? So, so the people being mentioned here at the end of verse 37, they are expelled from society. You guys are crazy. You guys are kooks. And yet we see that in the midst of their willingness to do so, God sees their faith. One commentator said this, they might have rustled in silks and velvets and luxurated in palaces of princes had they denied God and believed the world. Instead, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, accounted no better than goats or sheep, fit only for the slaughter. They left off all the finery and they faithfully followed Jesus Christ. Oh, for more of that in our day. Disrespected marginalization. Then verse 38, as we finish, of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Lastly, social marginalization. They are expelled from society. They are pushed away because they choose to trust the Lord. And what I love in verse 38 is the Holy Spirit says, hold on, let me tell you what really God thinks of these people, of whom, despite what the world says, the world was not worthy of. Did you see that? So you have all of man's thoughts and assessments, and then you see the Holy Spirit just work in the beginning of that verse. But here's what God thinks. He affirms them. He recognizes them. He sees the value of what they've shouldered for him. If you pray for our family, tomorrow we leave for London. We're going to see my brother combine kind of our family vacation and uh, see my brother before he's done. He's been there now, as he mentioned last Sunday, for 20 years. We've never seen any of what he, God has done through him there in the UK. So we're going to hopefully be there next Sunday and preach to a wellness weekend at their churches in London and then try to get down to see his church in Northern Ireland. It's a two-hour ferry ride to get there. 
Uh, we'll probably spend the night there in, in uh, Northern Ireland. And I just was thinking about this because I think it, it applies to this study today. I don't know what's in your mind when you hear these missionaries present their ministries, but the ministries that my brother has had a part in starting, they're not big works, okay? They have little storefront buildings. There's just a handful of people that gather, and they're trying to reach their community. And some would say, as my brother comes off the field after 20 years, and God may lead him back to that at some point, what do you have to show for it? You got these three little churches, and one doesn't have a pastor or a building. One just got a pastor. One has a building. But they're just these little works. And what I'm noticing with my brother and others like him is they're okay with little in the right sense, if you know what I mean by that. Like they just go to the place God called them, they preach the word, they counsel, they evangelize, they disciple, they do what they can, and then they're just okay with whatever God does. And then there's us, if you're like me at times, I either want go big or go home. You know what I mean by that? It's got to be something really huge and epic or it doesn't matter. Every moment, every interaction, every influence that you and I possess does matter if we'll trust God and we'll live out what he has called us to do and be. Look at verse 40 as we finish. The Bible says this, God having provided some better way for us that they, this is interesting, that they without us should not be made perfect. You know, a lot of what those that were trusting God for, they never saw. They didn't see the Messiah come. They were living pre-cross. We live post-cross. We have a cross in our auditorium. They would not even have been aware of that symbol, these that were listed. And yet, without some of the advantages that we have and perspectives that we have, they still chose to honor God. And I think what the writer of Hebrews is ending with here is, if they could trust God with what limited perspective and breakthroughs and even the hardships they went through, how can we not, with a complete canon of Scripture, trust in God? We complete we fulfill. We, we're, we're the recipients of much they had to just trust God for. We can see it. We can interact with it. Brethren, we are called to trust the Lord. I'll show you this last picture. A friend of mine pastors in Michigan. Yes, I have friends in Michigan. Um, and uh, this is a picture of a man in his church vacuuming on a Saturday night. Uh, and he, he just posted this little caption with it. He said, one of our most faithful servants is Paul DeVries. Paul lost his leg in a car accident when he was 16 years old. He went to college, eventually became a hospital administrator. He raised his family for Christ and is the epitome of man goals for the men in our church. And can I just speak to two groups in the room? One, those of you who are this man, those of you who are Paul, what you're doing matters. Those who vacuum the carpet in this room this last weekend, that matters to God. Because if it didn't happen for a few weeks, we'd all be a bit distracted, right? And discouraged. And secondly, I would say this, to those who are doing it, it matters. And number two, this church and the cause of Jesus Christ, both here and around the world, needs a few more Pauls, to say the least. Willing to take what little leg they have left, little time they have left, and by faith, lean in to what God's doing right now. Are we willing to be that? It's exciting to me to encourage those doing it, but also to anticipate if you would do your part, if I would do my part, what could God do with us? Will you allow God today to take your nobody knows or cares about me, my life doesn't matter, that vibe, and instead allow him to add epic significance through his footnoted breakthroughs and his footnoted endurance? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today.